Kanye West, the controversial rapper, started going through some changes a few years ago. Uh, he was known as a pretty provocative, uh, controversial guy. But uh, in 2018 or somewhere around there, he decided to commit his life to Jesus Christ. And in 2019, he released an album called Jesus is King. And uh, it's a story of his conversion to the Christian faith. And he had a gospel choir and all kinds of raps about Jesus. It was a top album. It was like top of the R&B, rap, pop, gospel, whatever other kind. I don't know if it was country and Western, but, but <laughs> it was the top. It was the top album. A lot of the top songs, top the Hot 100, whatever they call it. And it was a very popular album. But I loved the record because it reminded us that Jesus is king. And today we're going to continue our series uh, that we kicked off last week called Kingdomology. We're studying the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Last week we talked about kingdom priority and how God wants us to pivot in our priorities to seek first the kingdom. Today we're going to talk about the king of the kingdom because frankly you really can't have a kingdom if you don't have a king. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. I mean, he's the king, and uh, he's always been the king. In fact, uh, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, the wise men declared him as the king after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. Uh, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born, say it with me, King of the Jews, for we saw the star at its rising and have come to worship him. And then when Jesus is calling the 12 uh, in John 149, Rabbi Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And then later in 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So Jesus is king. In fact, Jesus' kingship was being declared at his birth. And that's why Herod was killing all the babies because he did not want to be rivaled. And then at his death, that I want us to look at today in John chapter 18. Um, this comes up again. Jesus is king. And he is regarded as the king of the Jews. And Pilate is the Roman governor over the region of Judea where the Jews lived. And he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it any more than Herod liked it. Because under the Roman domination, the Jewish people submitted to the Roman authority. They didn't like the Romans, but the Romans ruled the Holy Land during the time of Christ. And so for anybody to say that anybody else was a king was extremely controversial. Pilate doesn't like this, and he summons Jesus in John chapter 18 to inquire more. Then Pilate went back to the headquarters, and he summoned Jesus, and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied, your own na nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? 
My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, the kingdom is not from here. And uh, Jesus is talking about something totally different from what Pilate is talking about. Pilate's talking about, are you going to be a political ruler? Are you going to try to take my throne? And Jesus answers it. And I love the response of Jesus because Jesus was never afraid of people. Jesus was a truth teller. So Jesus doesn't cower and say, oh, Pilate, I'm so sorry. I'm not, I'm not the king. No, he, but he clarifies. I am the king, but I'm a king of a kingdom that is not of this world. How many of you know the kingdom of God is not of this world? It is a spiritual thing. Thank goodness. And listen, we ought to vote and we ought to participate in politics. But listen, the reason that you should never be discouraged by the outcome of an election is because God's kingdom is not of this world. We serve a king that is greater than the world that we live in. And Jesus is referring that and he's extending an invitation and a clarification to Pilate as he talks to him. Now, last week we talked about that the kingdom of God is the presence and rule of God in our lives. And I want us to see that the king has to have a, the kingdom has to have a king and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the king, first of all, of the spiritual realm. Now he's going to talk about his kingship in three areas today in John 18. But number one, Jesus is the king of the spiritual realm. Look at that again in verse 37. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. And if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. Now, if you read the story in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is arrested, one of Jesus' disciples got this a little bit confused. His name was Simon Peter, and he took out a sword, and he tried to chop somebody's head off. Um, he, he got the ear. Thank goodness he didn't, he didn't get the throat. I don't think he was aiming for the ear, but he, 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 he did chop off the ear and Jesus healed the guy, if you know the story. Because it's very easy to get the kingdoms mixed up. And Peter's enthusiastic about Jesus' rule and reign and he's like, don't mess with my boy Jesus. Where's my sword? And Jesus is reminding Peter the same thing that he's telling Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. I am the king of a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that is not from here. This is one of the really distinguishing aspects of the Christian faith. One of the signs of Islam is the sword. Now, you know, we think about the crescent moon and the star. But one of the other signs of Islam is a sword. Do you know why the sword is used as an emblem? Well, Muhammad killed a lot of people. And, and throughout the history of, of Islam, um, warfare and force and things like that have been used in some elements. Christianity is a kingdom that is not based on this earth. Jesus says, my kingdom is not here. It's not here. And this is a good reminder. To be a kingdom disciple, we have to understand kingdom methods and Jesus really kind of assures Pilate, I'm not a threat to you. I don't want your throne. I've got 
I've got spiritual business. I, you know, and Pilate even says, I don't find anything wrong with this guy. And then he takes Jesus before the, the angry mob and he says, I tell you what, I'm a gracious guy. This guy's innocent. Barabbas is guilty. He's a dirty, filthy scoundrel. Who do you want to let go? I'll let one go unpunished. And Pilate's thinking in his mind, oh, this is easy. This gets me off the hook. The Jewish establishment won't be upset with me. Everybody's going to pick Jesus because he didn't do anything wrong. And guess what? Sometimes the crowd is wrong. Sometimes what the majority says is, is as wrong as, as anything else. And so the angry mob says, no, we want to crucify Jesus. But it wasn't because Pilate found anything wrong with Jesus. But again, Jesus is the king of a spiritual kingdom. And uh, life is not a playground. It is a battleground. We do battle in the spiritual realm. In Ephesians chapter 6, 13, the apostle Paul spoke of it as the evil day or the day of evil. I don't know if you've ever gone through a day like that. Maybe you've been through a month or a year like that. But the day of evil, the time of evil, everything seemed to be rocking along, going okay. And then... Chaos happened and uh, you were under a major attack. Uh, things started falling, fa falling apart. Um, you thought things were going great with your marriage, but uh, it began to crumble. Uh, you thought your finances were doing okay and all of a sudden you're in the middle of a, of a, a financial meltdown. Uh, you, you thought you, you know, your, your, your mind and your head was straight, but now all of a sudden you're depressed and you're discouraged. What happened? The evil day. To, to win in the spiritual realm, we have to do spiritual battle. And, and Jesus is talking about the fact that he's the king of a kingdom. And that king calls us to do spiritual battle. Now, uh, I was reading this week about the Navy SEALs. Did you know this? They have 84 different weapons, at least 84 different weapons that they train on. So if you're a Navy SEAL, you know, you can, you can use an Uzi, you can use a grenade launcher, you can use a knife, you can use a, 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 a sniper rifle, you can use a pistol. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And different weapons are used in different scenarios. And I thought, that's a beautiful picture of spiritual warfare. God has given us a host of spiritual weapons, and I want to give some of these to you today because I want you to do spiritual battle with the enemy when he tries to take you out. And if you think things are going great for you, you may want to take some notes because tomorrow it may not be like that. <laughs> the day of evil. Um, repentance. Now, repentance is a big spiritual word, but it means to change directions. And so what we do is we begin to own our stuff. We, we look at our life and we say, you know, God, I've made some mistakes here. I've, I've messed up here. I, I shouldn't have done that. And we change, literally the, the, the language of the New Testament, the word means to change directions. So repentance is, I'm not going to blame other people for my problems. I'm going to take personal responsibility for what I've done. And when you do that, you do warfare with the devil and you begin to take down spiritual strongholds in your life. And a lot of people today don't want to take responsibility. They just want to blame others. But when you begin to do that, under the authority of God, you do, you do spiritual battle with the enemy. Um, James chapter 4, verse 7 says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. 
I mean, did you know that part of winning spiritual battles is just sticking your heels in the ground and saying, I'm not going to move. I'm going to resist. I'm going to resist the temptation. I'm going to resist the the impulse. I'm going to resist the opportunity. I'm going to resist the devil. Now, we think about the devil as big and bad and powerful, and he is. But did you know that the power that is in the life of a Christ follower is greater than the power of hell. And that's why you can dig your heels in and say, no, I I am not going down that road. I refuse to be a part of that. I'm going to resist the devil. We need to go old school today in the spiritual battle and just say, no, I'm not going there. Resist him. Resist him. When Jesus was resisting the devil in Matthew chapter 4, he quoted scripture. We need to read and to hear the word of God. Okay, the the Bible is the sword of the spirit. It's a weapon. Amen? God has given us a great weapon. Use the word of God. Use the promises of God. Use the, the teachings of God. Use the insights of God. Here's your battle plan right here. The word of God, God's word, it's a weapon. It's a weapon to help us defeat the enemy. We need to read and hear and memorize the word of God. Uh, Prayer is another weapon. Ask God for help. Believe that God is going to intervene in your life and your circumstance. Listen, you can't lay down and quit today in the evil day. You've got the weapon of prayer. And prayer is our communication with God. And God wants to do something powerful in your life and in through prayer. Don't give up. Don't say, well, you know what? My my spouse is just always going to be an unbeliever. It's just never going to change. No, man, you got to do battle. You got to do battle with the enemy. You got to do. Jesus is the king of the spiritual realm. He says, listen, I I rule a kingdom, but my kingdom is not of of this earth. Fasting. Intensifying our prayers in and through fasting. Warfare. When the evil day comes, maybe you need to be saying, hey, I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. Worship is a huge weapon in warfare. You know, we sing these great songs. And by the way, did our band just kill it today? They were awesome. Some, yeah, give it up. I mean, come on. And, and sometimes I hear our band play and they're so good. I'm like, that was an amazing Lick on the bass. Whoa. And it's like, you know, or what a great fill on the drums. Diggy, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, wow. And I love all of that. But you know what? I'm reminded that the reason that we worship is it's about the words. It's about the message of the songs. We just sang a song about the walls come crashing down. You know how the walls come down? We do spiritual battle with the enemy. That's how that happens. And um, we need to worship. I mean, worship is a weapon that has been given to us. We sang a song today, God of the Promise, about the promises of God. When we worship, we're making declarations over our lives and over what we want to see happen in the spiritual realm. There is a dynamic that happens. Sometimes I talk to people and they're like, we don't really like the music. We just want to hear the preaching. And I'm like, wait a second, you're missing out. You're missing out on a big part of the battle that's going on here. And as we worship, 
As we worship, we push back the forces of darkness. Jesus is all this. Uh, Jesus, uh, the, the New Testament says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another weapon, just renew your mind. Remind yourself who God is and what God has said about you. Now, here's the second thing, though. Jesus is also the king over truth. Okay, he's the king of the spiritual realm. He's the king of truth. All truth comes in and through Jesus. Look, look at verse 37. Everyone who is of the truth listens to who? My voice. Yeah, my voice. And then Pilate's response, what is truth? <laughs> Do you see the contrast? Jesus is, Jesus is saying to him, listen, people who listen to me have truth in their life. And Pilate's like, well, what is the truth? You know, he scoffs at it. How silly is that? Truth. You know, we live in a time, though, where a lot of people think the same about truth. The same as Pilate. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. My truth can be different one day than it is the next day. And, and we live kind of in a time of moral relativism where there's very little regard for real truth. And this has brought chaos into our world because there's so much confusion on what is the truth and what is error. And if you call something error, you're a bigot, you're, you're insensitive, you're uneducated, you're not sophisticated. Listen, Jesus is the truth. And he says, people of the truth are the ones who listen to my voice. And Pilate basically says, well, truth is a fable. And it doesn't make any sense to me what is truth. Now, it's interesting that Pilate says that Jesus is innocent, but he allows him to be crucified. If you don't really believe in truth, you don't really care about the outcome. I mean, it wasn't like Pilate was trying to intervene and, and, and stop the crucifixion of Jesus. He knew it was wrong. That's why he goes and washes his hands. And I think in the heart of every person, there's a lot of times we know things are wrong, but we will tell ourselves that they're not wrong so that we feel better. And this is, this is the life of Pilate. Pilate's like, okay, Jesus is speaking to me. Jesus is challenging me. Oh, what is truth? Huh. Truth is whatever I want to make it out to be. What difference does it make? It's all relative. Spiritual truth is not determined by pragmatism or merely by what works. It, it, it is determined by what God has said. Um, spiritual truth applies to all cultures, to all people, all the time. When I was a university student, I got the opportunity to do some missionary work over in Siberia, Russia. Like when the Bible talks about the ends of the earth, that kind of place, like Way, 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 way out. It took, it, took, it took us like three days to get there, you know, flying, layovers, changing planes and all that. This was shortly after the fall of communism and people were very spiritually hungry to hear about God because they've been told atheism their whole life. And so I'm out there in this Russian village knocking on doors with my translator and um, we, we had like a little spiel and I would say, hello, I'm Pastor Ryan and I want to talk to you about Jesus and then... My translator would say that in Russian. And then people would be like amazed that an American's knocking on their door. They thought that was really spectacular. Of course, they're curious. They're curious like, why are you here? And then they're also curious about Jesus. And so 
I would kind of present the gospel. Sometimes they would invite me in and we would have some chai, you know, we would drink a little tea, talk about Jesus. And then I would get to the end where I would say, hey, do you want to give your life to Christ? And I would always watch the, the response of the person like, you know, because when you're in another country, like you're dying to know what people are saying. But when it's a very foreign language to you, you absolutely have no idea. And I would watch facial expressions and I would listen for tones. And, and inevitably, the, the response, um, I'm, I'm watching, you know, the guy's face turn red. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the heart, harshness of the Russian language. And I'm like, this guy just said he's going to chop me up into a thousand pieces and eat me for breakfast, okay? And I'm like looking for the door. I'm ready to start running, you know? And then the translator would come back and he would say, oh, no, this guy wants to give his life to Christ, and then I learned that I had no filter. I had, I had no capacity to understand what somebody was saying to me in Russian. But here's the beautiful thing about spending some time over there in Siberia. The same Christian gospel that was changing hearts and lives in people's, people's families and people's hearts right here in America, the same gospel was impacting people on the other side of the planet. And then I spent some time down in South America and Peru, and I found the same thing to be true. God's truth, spiritual truth, is always true. It really doesn't matter where you are. God saves people, God changes hearts, God changes lives. It's all the exact same way. It's the exact same thing, and Jesus is the Lord of all truth. That's why we should ask what Jesus thinks about our life and circumstance more. A lot of times we're doing our own thing and we, we forget that maybe Jesus might want to have a little, little input into our own life. And spiritual truth applies to all cultures, to all people at all times. People find Christ the exact same way. All spiritual truth comes from God and it's revealed to us in his word through the person of Jesus and ultimately points us to Christ. So there's not alternative spiritual truths. You know, like there's a Buddhist truth. There's a new age truth. There's a whatever you can think of, fill in the blank truth. No, 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 no. There's one truth. And it comes in and through Jesus. And nobody ever did what Jesus did. And nobody ever taught what Jesus taught. Jesus is in a category all by himself. We ought to point our kids to the truth. Second John chapter one, verse four says, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the father commanded. Is there anything more wonderful than seeing kids, seeing our children walk with Jesus and walk in the truth? I mean, is there just anything more wonderful than that? I get to spend some time with our teenagers on occasion here at Edge Church. I love it. It's so refreshing to me seeing teenagers, seeing families, seeing children follow Christ. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. We ought to be teaching the next generation about what it is to walk in the truth. Um, but, but I've thought about this a lot. Why don't we not trust God more with our life. I think at the heart of that, we don't really believe 
We don't really believe that God is really a good God. It's easier to believe that God does good things for other people than sometimes it is to believe that God does good things for me. And listen, if you have a a picture of God, that God is not looking out for you, that God is not providing for you, that God is not leading you, then it's always a lot harder to trust him. We have to believe that the heart of the king is for the truth. We have to believe that, 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 that the king has, has our best interest in part. Now, look, I looked up some crazy monarchs, and, and I looked up the most evil monarchs in the history of the world on Google this week. And one of the guys that came up was a, was a, a Russian czar. His name was Ivan the Terrible. Now, you know, most of the time when you're a king, you want to have a name that like, you know, like builds you up. Like here's, here's a great one. Richard, the Lionheart. Whoa. You're like, this dude is bad. Ivan, the terrible. And and he, he, he was really into torture. He would sadistically torture uh, families, kill all of his rivals. One time he got angry. He took a pole and shoved it through his son's gut and killed him just in a fit of rage for no reason. No wonder they called him Ivan the Terrible. I mean, come on. Uh, if you look at Roman history, uh, Nero was the emperor that would take uh, animal skins and put them on Christians and then have wild dogs attack them and eat them and destroy them. And he would use uh, Christian people um, as torches in his garden. They would pour tar on them and light them on fire. Horrible, unspeakable kinds of things. Terrible things. Um, King Henry VIII, I guess he was a little milder than Nero, but he was the one that was killing all his wives because they weren't producing a male heir. You know, not good. If you have a king that you believe is evil and destructive, you, you, you submit by fear and obligation. But that's not the kingdom of the Spirit. That's not, that's not God's kingdom. God's kingdom is something that is totally different. The reason that we follow God's kingdom is because God is good. And it's easy to submit when you believe that the king is trustworthy, good, and fair. So how do we do it? Well, we may say about ourselves, I'm unlovable, but God says, I am forever loved. Romans 8, 38, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears today, nor worries about tomorrow. Uh, I feel afraid, but God says I'm strong. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and of a sound mind. Uh, I feel abandoned, but instead God says I'm adopted. Ephesians chapter one, verse five, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Uh, Maybe you feel like a sinner, but instead God says, no, in Christ, you're a saint. You're a saint. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Christ.
1 John 2.12. Or maybe you feel alone, but you need to be reminded God is the one who is always with you. Joshua 1.9, don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you will go. We serve a good king. And the reason that we want that king to sit on the throne of our lives is because he is always just, he is always good, he is always fair, and we can follow him and believe in him. we got to listen to the truth of Jesus. You know, over the last couple of years, I've known a couple of people that have taken their own lives, tragically. I mean, people that had a, a lot of things going for them in worldly terms, you know. They had a great life, but they took their life. Why? When we don't believe the truth of God's word, when we don't believe what God has said about us, when we don't believe the truth about our circumstance, the day of evil comes upon us and begins to deceive us, to mislead us, and and leads us to the path of destruction that, that can rob us of so much of what God wants to do in our life. We have to believe that King Jesus is a good king. He really is. Now here's the final thing. Jesus is king over me. Jesus is king over me. I hope he's king over you. What good is it for Jesus to speak the truth if no one's listening? And again, he says to Pilate in John 18, 37, I was born for this. I've come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Jesus says, my whole purpose, the whole reason that I showed up was to declare the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This is not so much the trial of Jesus. This is the trial of Pilate. Jesus is saying to him, Pilate, are you going to listen to the truth? I want to have a spiritual relationship with you. All you can think about is your politics, appeasing the Jews, moving on to the next thing. Don't miss it. And what is Pilate's response? What is the truth? He says, It was really Pilate, not Jesus, who was on trial because wherever a person comes into contact with Jesus Christ, his sins are exposed in the light of Christ's holiness and he has a decision to make. And Jesus has offered the same decision to you. Is Jesus going to be the ruler, the leader, the king over our lives? Are we going to allow Jesus to speak into what we believe the truth is? Um, Do we look to Jesus for spiritual remedies to earthly problems because he's the king over over the spiritual world? Uh, What do we do? Is Jesus going to be the king of our lives? John the Baptist beautifully said it in John chapter 3. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. In other words, I want Jesus... To sit on the throne of my life. I want him to sit there. I want him to sit there. Let me have that stool for just a second. If I can get that. This is the throne of our life right here. 
And many times the, Jesus is not sitting here because we are sitting here. We like making our own calls, making our own decisions, leading our own lives, doing our own thing. And uh, many times we want God to come along and to, to kind of help us out if we get in trouble. But truth be known, we kind of make it making all the decisions. When we get real spiritual, though, sometimes we move over a little bit and we're like, come here, God, come sit right here. You know, maybe you got one of those bumper stickers on your car that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. You know, did you know that Jesus never signed up to be number two? <laughs> He's the pilot. He's not the co-pilot. So Jesus is not the one sitting beside us. We're not, we're not sharing the throne. Jesus is the one who sits on the throne of our life and we bow before him. That's what we do. We get down on our knees before him because we want him to rule and to reign in our life. And when we do that, we walk in the truth. We do what God has called us to do. We recognize that he's the ruler over the spiritual realm and that all of our life centers around the things that God has purposed for us to do. Would you pray with me for just a moment?